welcome back to the Sock Them Asia podcast. My name is Cassie and I'm very happy to be back with you today. Likewise. Hi, it's me, Carlo, again. And we are back today to talk about, uh, just to really jump right into it, we're here to talk about Japanese politics. Wow. Yes. Okay, so what do you know about that? Uh, they have had very many prime ministers in a short time. And I am not an expert about Japanese politics or about government systems that have a prime minister. But I know that you're not, suppo- ideally, you're not supposed to have more than one prime minister for a set amount. It shouldn't be this short, basically. That's what I know. Yeah, yeah. Well, especially, you know, we're going to talk about Japanese, you know, the Jap- recent Japanese elections because they just had their elections uh you know, this November. So uh, they elected a new government. Well, basically a new prime minister because it's the same political party that's been mm-hmm. running Japan. It's the Liberal Democratic Party. And so we will discuss, you know, the complexities of Japanese politics and election and also about the Liberal Democratic Party. So. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So the guests, our very special guest that we have brought to join us today is Sven Soller. He is the FES representative in Japan. That is the Friedrich Ebert Stiftung. And he is a professor of modern Japanese history at Sofia University in Tokyo. He's written and edited books about history debates in Japan, East Asian regionalism, and Japanese-German relations. Some of the books he has published are Mutual Perceptions and Images in Japanese-German Relations, 1860-2010, to and The Rutledge Handbook of Modern Japanese History. So Sven, thank you so much for joining us. Yes, hello, and thank you for having me. All right, so I'm going to give the floor to Carlo because in the pre-recording, he was talking about a book that he was reading. So I think he is better equipped to set the stage for our discussion today. So Carlo, let's kick it off. Sven, it's, uh, again, it's a pleasure having you here over the, at the podcast. So if you could just start with a question. Um, if can you just give a brief background of Japanese politics, especially for us who aren't Japanese, um, looking into Japanese politics. It's very confusing in many ways and very, yeah, it's a parliamentary democracy, etc. But there's always this party that's always seems to win every election, the Liberal Democratic Party of Japan. Can you explain how, you know, how this electoral democracy has been shaped or has evolved and why does the LDP keep on, seems to keep on winning elections almost every since the start of the since the end of the second world war yes uh, thank you so um yeah the current political system of japan is based upon the uh, post war constitution which was um written in 1946 and enacted in 1947 and as a result of this um Constitution, Japan is today a democracy uh, with a parliament, um, most people call it the diet, um, with um, a lower house and an upper house. And both houses are directly um, 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 elected by the people. So there are um, elections and elections are relatively fair, but at least free, so different from other countries. We don't hear any claims that the elections are rigged um, or that there is election 
um, 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 that that um, um, people are faking things or, or, or falsifying votes. Um, so um, in, in that sense, the elections are relatively fair um, for general standards nowadays. Um, but yeah, as you said, since uh, the foundation of the Liberal Democratic Party, which is a conservative party and a increasingly conservative party in the last years, um, this party has almost almost every time uh, been winning the election. So some people say, well, how could that be? And is Japan really a democracy if um, the opposition never succeeds in a government change? So first of all, we have to see that there were a couple of times when um, the LDP was not in power. In the 1990s, that was not the result of elections, but rather a result of the LDP splitting up. Uh, many uh, politicians defected from the LDP, founded new parties, and then these parties um, created a, a multi-party coalition government. But that already says something about the LDP. So the LDP is um, right now very strong and it puts a lot of emphasis on unity, but it is also divided up into inter-party groups that rival each other in um, influence. And that can go so far that people leave the party because they don't feel like um, um, their ideas are being um, realized. Uh, but more importantly, in 2009, the um, LDP had messed up certain things uh, so much that it was voted out of power. So in 2009, the LDP uh, um, had a, um, a landslide election loss, and the opposition had a landslide um, election victory. And then we had a change of government in Japan. So in that sense, Japan is doing better than some other democracies. And um, as you know, I am from Germany originally. And in Germany, we have one state that is called Bavaria. Most people know that. Some people actually think of when they think of Germany, they often think in stereotypes that only apply to Bavaria. But one thing is interesting about Bavaria state of Bavaria, the conservative Christian Social Union, which is a, um, um, a sister party of Angela Merkel's Christian Democratic Union, has always been in power since 1949, which is actually longer than the LDP because the LDP was only founded in 1955. And uh, Bavaria, in that sense, is um, um, a similar example of a state, which is, of course, part of the largest state of Germany, um, but a state in which one conservative party has always won the election, always, every single time since 1949. So in that sense, uh, Japan is not doing that bad. But of course, there are some reasons why the LDP um, um, is holding on to power so tightly. Maybe we can discuss this later. You have lots of other questions, I think. So maybe I'll leave it to this for the time being. Yeah, um, I was also gonna, I was interested to ask, since you mentioned that Japan is obviously a free democracy. There's There are elections, competitive elections, et cetera. But it seems, you know, it's, it just appear. it just seems that the LDP is able to dominate almost all the elections with the exception of, two occasions right in 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 Japan's history so obviously there are political part other political parties uh, in in Japan even it even has i think one of the largest 
communist parties in in the developed world the uh, communist party of japan etc there are social democratic parties liberal center left political party so what yes. do these these smaller parties function if they're not able to contest power or rather if you know if there's very little to slim chance for them to even form government what why would people even vote for them or even choose to vote for for them in in parliament what function do they have yeah well those parties function as an opposition so um, obviously it's it's better to have an opposition even it is a not exactly united one and not a particular strong one in the parliament uh, but obviously the, the the opposition parties do criticize the government um, publicly, for example, in TV programs, uh, you have always a, a um, in, in, in the public uh, broadcaster um, in Japan, which is called NHK, for example, if you have a discussion round of representatives of the parties, um, actually, the opposition party is in the majority in a way because um, the ruling coalition consists of two parties, namely the LDP and another party, called the Komeito, but the opposition parties are like six or seven. So in TV debates, you would have two representatives of the government and six, seven or eight representatives of the, the, the largest uh, opposition parties. Um, and then, of course, people would watch um, these TV debates and that, of course, stimulates political discussion and restrains the, uh, the LDP in doing whatever it um, feels like, right? Um, so they do feel restrained by public discussions um, a little bit. And that is, of course, uh, the, um, the task of the opposition. And um, apart from that, of course, um, the, um, I mean, the weakness of the opposition parties comes from them being um, not united. You already said we have, uh, we have the Japan Communist Party, we have the Social Democratic Party. But for example, in the lower house, which was just elected, as you mentioned at the beginning, um, the Social Democratic Party just has um, um, two seats out of 465. So obviously that is not a weighty um, political force in Japan anymore. The Communist Party has, um, 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 just let me look, um, 12 uh, seats. So um, these parties are not exactly weighing in in terms of the parliamentary debates, but they do weigh in in terms of the um, public debates in the mass media, etc. And yeah, as you referred to, the largest opposition party is the so-called Constitutional Democratic Party, or abbreviated the CDP. And this is a center-left party, which um, also has a social democratic block in it, um, but it also has um, some more conservative politicians. And some people say it is actually a second conservative party, which is somewhat more reformist than the LDP but um, it is not that much of a difference. And that is also one of the reasons why the LDP keeps winning elections, because many people don't really see an alternative. Some people say the opposition parties are too disunited. Some people say they don't offer convincing alternatives. And uh, some people say, well, they, they aren't really much different from the LDP. They might be a little bit more uh, reformist, but that's it. Um, yeah. 
<laughs> I'd like to ask Vince since you mentioned that you know um, one that's one problem that you mentioned that uh, some of these opposition parties or at least some of the people who are in the parties the members of parliament may not be ideologically too different from the LDP is it is is that one reason also because if you look at the um, voter turnout is that one reason with why you have compared to the other countries you know developed countries Japan has relatively very low voter turnout or is it just a recent trend yes well actually the voter turnout in Japan was very high until 2009 uh, usually it was somewhere between 60 and 70 percent in some years even above 70 percent in 2009 it was 69 um, percent so until 2009 it was very high uh, and since 2012 voter turnout has plummeted and it is now around 50 percent uh, in elections since 2012. And that has actually to do with the disillusionment of the population with the opposition, because in, in uh, with what is now the opposition, because in 2009 to 2012, as mentioned before, the what is now the opposition governed Japan, the Democratic Party of Japan governed Japan, and many people think it did not do a good job. I'm very skeptical with regards to this judgment. Um, I mean, as you probably remember, I mean, that's something that is well known worldwide. In 2011, Japan had a major problem with the so-called triple disaster, the great earthquake in Northeast Japan, the tsunami, and the resulting Fukushima nuclear power accident. And uh, of course, no government in that situation would be able to, um, uh, on top of dealing with these catastrophes, um, to, to, to make good politics, right? To, to start reform, a reform agenda or something like that. So uh, many people were disappointed by the DPJ, uh, although on the other side, some people say, well, if the DPJ had not been in power, the whole catastrophe might've played out much more catastrophical, um, because the DPJ was actually um, um, the, the prime minister in particular, Mr. Khan at the time, uh, was very active in trying to get under control, uh, for example, the nuclear power uh, um, um, station situation in uh, Fukushima, while the LDP probably would have just let go and uh, uh, let uh, Tokyo Electric Power Corporation do whatever they wanted. So uh, Mr. Khan today says, um, well, I more or less um, um, saved Japan from an even larger catastrophe. But that is a reason why today the DPJ and therefore the whole opposition is not uh, in a very good reputation in uh, Japan. And that is why many people do not think that uh, giving the opposition a mandate to govern Japan is a very good idea or is a viable option. Okay. Uh, speaking on or in relation to public confidence of Japanese citizens in its government, could you illuminate a little bit as to, like at least in the recent term, why the turnover of prime ministers has been so quick and like why this happens in Japan's parliamentary system? Yeah, so Japan in that respect is uh, is 
shifting from uh, extremes to extremes in a way. Actually, short-term prime ministers are more the rule than the exception. And that has to do with the fact, actually, that the LDP is so dominant. But Mm. on the other hand, as I mentioned before, has this intra-party groups. We also call those groups factions. So some political scientists say, well, the Liberal Democratic Party is actually not really a party, but it is like five parties or so. And uh, that is why within the party, normally you have a big, um, an intense um, a competition for power and the rival groups want to um, 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 form cabinets once, uh, 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 once in a while. So that is why prime ministers cannot be prime ministers for too long because some other um, group within the LDP would get nervous and would want to say, well, we, we also want to form a cabinet and give our guys, the guys from our group, and it is really mostly guys, um, not mm. female politicians, mm-hmm. of which there are very few. Yeah. Um, and we want to give them um, a ministerial positions. And that is why usually until uh, recently, there were very few prime ministers that could hold on to power for more than two or three years. There were a few, but not um, uh, um, not many of them. So power shifted within the LDP, and that meant new prime ministers. An exception was the recent prime ministership of uh, Shinzo Abe. Mr. Mm-hmm. Abe came to power in 2012 after those three years of the LDP out of power. And the reason he was able to um, stay prime minister for eight years which is an absolute record in the history of Japan, actually, including pre-war Japan. So for eight years, he was prime minister, incredibly long time for Japanese standards. Um, But um, one of the reasons was that the LDP was out of power for three years, and that had traumatized the party so much. And it was so happy to be back in power in 2012 that Mr. Abe successfully appealed to party unity. He said, listen, guys, if we mess this up again, then this incapable, as he claimed, opposition, the DPJ, the Democratic Party of Japan, will again come to power. We cannot let this happen. We need to stand together, in brackets, under my leadership. Mm-hmm. So that is why, although Abe, uh, Mr. Abe was not a very gifted politician and he was mm-hmm. very unusual, unusual in Japanese for Japanese standards because he was very aggressive and his mm. tone was very, well, unfriendly to, to say the least. But um, this kind of ex, ex, um, um, building upon the trauma of being in the opposition, that was how he um, made it possible to come to power and stay in power for eight years. But this is really the exception. And the short terms of prime ministers, they are a result of the intra-party rivalries that the LDP used to have. Mm-hmm. Can hmm. you talk a little bit more about that, please? So you're talking that there are factions inside of the LDP. Like, yeah. what are the differences between these factions? Like, are there programmatic differences, like stark, or it's just you know people wanting their turn with the hat? Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah, it is both. Um, I mean, some people say um, it is more about the people. So you have these factions which mm. are headed 
by one powerful politician and some other politicians group uh, themselves around him. And in this case, exclusively him, uh, because I, I don't think um, a woman ever, mm-hmm. a female politician ever headed a faction. Um, and um, these politicians support the leader of the group and uh, he gives them positions if the group comes to power. So that's the, the main deal, I suppose. Um, but there are also some nuances in terms of um, policies. So you have the group that supports Mr. Abe, which is uh, very much towards the right wing of the LDP. And uh, the current prime minister, Mr. Kishida, um, he is, uh, people say he belongs to a more liberal faction. So this would be more center or even center and slightly left, maybe not exactly left, but um, a little bit left of center or center. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this group in the last years didn't have um, or, or, or lost um, a lot of influence. Um, but when he came to power, he made clear that he wanted to or, or when he announced his um, candidacy for president for the presidency of the LDP, he um, announced some things that seemed to suggest that he wanted to distance himself from uh, Mr. Abe. Mm. Uh, eventually, that didn't work out because of these intra-party mm. um, um, power relations. He needed Mr. Abe's support, so he right away backpedaled um, mm. again a little bit from his more liberal approach um, policy statements, Um, but um, he is from a different camp, which also uh, goes back in terms of history. Um, Actually, in my main profession, I am a historian, and in that Mm -hmm. sense, it is important to look where his faction goes back to, and it goes back to a politician in the 1950s who massively argued uh, uh, for a concentration of politics on economic growth rather than on confrontational issues such as security policies. And he said, yeah, let's leave that aside for the time being and let's mm-hmm. focus on economic growth because it will make everybody happy. And obviously mm-hmm. Kishida has a similar approach, but then again, he also needs the support of Mr. Abe. And therefore, um, it seems like he is also making adjustments to that. And in terms of foreign policy, for example, he has made some quite hawkish statements, mm-hmm. which don't really go well in his original constituency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of the desire to focus on economics in order to keep the Japanese citizens happy, can you speak a little bit about like what are the effects of all of this power switching on like the everyday lives of the Japanese people? Yeah, well, that's a very good question. I'm I'm not an economist, so I'm not particularly mm-hmm. um, knowledgeable about that. But uh, I mean, one thing that um, economists have concluded is that the um, economic policy of Mr. Shinzo Abe, um, which, as most listeners probably have uh, heard before, is um, called Abenomics, in a mm-hmm. uh, in a very self-confident and uh, immoderate move. Um, so Abenomics has been conducted over um, obviously eight or nine years now, namely the tenure of Mr. Abe and his successor, Mr. Suga, 
Mr. Suga um, continued Abe's economic policy approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and the expectation was that at the end of the day, uh, the Japanese people would profit from that through okay. what everybody knows as the so-called trickle-down effect, right? Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And um, yeah, well, I mean, if no other case, then Mr. Abe's policies prove that it's not working because Mm -hmm. um, Japan has stagnant incomes Mm -hmm. since now 25, almost 30 years. Mm -hmm. So the the, the stagnation of income is not Mr. Abe's fault, but the objective of economics was to overcome that stagnation mm-hmm. and through this initiating a, a positive cycle of consumption and production and consumption and economic growth, etc. Mm-hmm. However, he, he had eight years and his successor an additional year and mm-hmm. incomes in Japan are still stagnant. So if people's um, 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 salaries increase, then it usually is eaten up by either the um, very low but still existing inflation in Japan. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some people talk about deflation in Japan. In some years, there is deflation, but in some years, there is inflation. But more so, it's eaten up by uh, tax raises. So uh, the government is raising taxes, and Mm -hmm. that is why, uh, at the end of the day, incomes are still stagnant and are still not growing even after nine years of economics. And that is actually why Mr. Kishida, when he came to power, um, announced that uh, what Japan really needs um, is redistribution. Mm. And of course, we count on towards trickle down, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So indirectly, he was not naming Abenomics and he was not saying it was uh, was a mistake mm-hmm. or a failure, but um, he said Japan needs redistribution. Uh, but then, as I said before, he needed the support of Mr. Abe yeah. to win the elections for party presidency. Mm-hmm. And then he uh, once in the parliament stated, oh, and yeah, that's not exactly what I mean. Of course, we need growth mm-hmm. first, and then we can redistribute something. If, we, if the economy doesn't grow, we don't have anything to distribute. Mm-hmm. And with that, we are kind of at square one again. We are again oh, yeah. coming to the uh, trickle-down, the, the hope for trickle-down effects. But um, yeah, we will have to see how this plays out and how far Mr. Kishida wants to distance himself from Mr. Abe and how far he is able to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Japan's economy is really also, I'd, I'd like to add also know that Mm. Um, it seems the 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 kind of economic reform they're trying to do has yeah as you said hasn't had back intended effect that they were planning it would have and it seems that Japan's economy you know the 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 lost decades so to speak are now I would say mm. it seems to be now dragging into thirty years how how does the kind of the laggard economy affect um, ordinary people like you know um, ordinary employees. Consumption, uh, con- mm. you know, ordinary consumers. Is that is that an effect? Would that prompt them to still vote LDP? Because it, it seems to me that you know with this kind of situation, a laggard economy, a lot of mm. and and I I think it would probably also point out a lot of uh, corruption scandals as well with the previous mm. Abe government. That yeah, this yeah. would prompt them to probably reconsider 
voting again for a democratic or at least an opposition opposition party but it seems it's not the case i don't know again mm. i guess is it is it really that the ldps is it is it from the mindset of the vote the, the japanese voter is it a choice between voting ldp or not voting at all yeah yeah well i mean yo yeah that's a, a big <laughs> a lot of things to unpack here um so um First of all, I mean, as far as um, Abenomics uh, is concerned, um, of course, please keep in mind that opinions are divided. I mean, um, uh, what I talked about now is more like the view from, as you also uh, refer to, from the ordinary people. So how did Abenomics influence the lives of ordinary people? And I think most economists would say, and, and do say, I mean, you can find that easily on uh, uh, in, 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 in openly accessible articles that people would say it, it didn't change anything. And so from the view of cons- consumers or from the working population, abenomics was a failure. It did not do anything to improve uh, regular people's lives. Um, on the other hand, of course, um, there are still a lot of people who are doing very well. For example, um, people who own stocks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that is one thing that uh, Mr. Abe and the LDP always emphasizes. Um, look at the Nikkei um, average, the, the Nikkei index, the stock mm-hmm. index of Japan. It has risen and that has made people rich. And it has, of course, this is uh, true. Now, I don't know the exact number of people in Japan who own uh, stocks, but um, the people who really got rich because of stocks, of course, is very limited. I mean, some people have a small number of stocks, so they earned a little bit of money because of that. Um, If they sold stocks, I mean, first of all, you don't earn any money, or at least not a lot of money from dividends. You only earn if you sell your stocks. Uh, But Mm -hmm. some people, of course, have successfully... Um, done that, and they would be, of course, very happy about Abenomics and about the LDP policy. So these would be, of course, the faithful core voters of the LDP, and they obviously would stick to voting in favor of the LDP. Um, that Japan is slightly going down in some rankings. Um, actually, I'm, I'm very skeptical about what, what that means. I mean, that China is um, inc- uh, growing is an obvious thing. It's not a bad thing. It's not a good thing. It's just a thing, right? It's just a development that at least since, since 30 or 40 years we saw coming and that uh, China with its much larger population overtakes uh, Japan in absolute numbers of GDP um, is is not particularly surprising. So, um, I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean China is doing better uh, in economic things uh, than uh, Japan. Japan is still doing very well in many sectors, um, obviously. Um, so that Japan is going down in rankings is not um, really affecting uh, the lives of the people, but um, the, the lack um, um, of uh, income uh, um, 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 growth is. On top of it, um, what is a really important um, development in the last 20 years is the uh, increase of irregularly irregularly employed workers. Mm -hmm. And that is, of course, also something we have in other countries 
in Southeast Asia as well, I suppose, but also in Europe and in the United States as a result of the, in inverted commas, liberalization of um, the labor market. Um, Japan has now um, 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 40% of Japan's working population are today in irregular employment. Um, some of those want to be in irregular employment. Some just want to have a part-time job also, but a large number also would prefer um, a regular job and, uh, and uh, uh, a position, uh, a contract, a fixed um, um, contract and not a temporary contract. So that is also something that really negatively um, influence the lives of many people, the liberalization of the labor market as a part of um, um, Abenomics, but actually predating uh, Mr. Abe, that already started uh, in, the, in the early 2000s. Um, yeah, well, alternatives, just this one question maybe that you had, um, alternatives uh, to the LDP, well, it's actually um, a fact that um, many people do vote for the opposition. So in the last um, elections, um, the, the largest um, two or three opposition parties did get more votes than the LDP did. Um, but uh, the reason the LDP uh, still has majority is because uh, in Japan you have more um, seats in the parliament that are filled by direct candidates, which are uh, voted for in a constituency. On the other hand, you have um, the, um, um, the vote for the parties. And in this vote, um, it, the LDP is usually the strongest party, but if you take the second uh, uh, and the third largest parties, the opposition par parties together, um, you, you get a huge number of um, votes. Um, so there are obviously a lot of people that um, do vote against the LDP, but because of the election system, because of the direct candidates being the majority in the parliament and the representatives vote, the proportional votes uh, that, uh, uh, that are decided according to the percentages that a party um, receives with the with a with a party vote. Um, uh, in this case, uh, the uh, LDP is not doing uh, very well and only gets a very slight majority. So that shows there is um, a lot of um, um, a lot of um, um, opposition in terms of political organization, but also among the voters. There are many people who do not vote for the LDP, but who vote for. Um, um, opposition parties, but in constituencies at the end of the day, the LDP candidates are always very strong and win most of the direct seats. Speaking yeah. of the opposition mm. parties in Japan, uh, could we, we want to ask for if you have any comments about the electoral gains of the Japan Innovation Party. And it's a party that has been like viewed as like populist or somewhat populist. And what mm. do you think this bodes for, you know, like, did I, like, will there be a future that the LDP is supplanted? And like, if that is possible, like how soon you think? Yeah, so this Japan Innovation Party, I mean, first of all, the English official name is Japan Innovation Party, but I think it's really a misnomer because oh. in many uh, respects, it is a, a very conservative party and it's 
at least as conservative, in some respects, uh, more conservative than mm. the LDP. Um, it also stands for a very hawkish foreign policy. Um, and it stands for a neoliberalism. It is a very strong neoliberal party. And in that sense, it has generated the image of being somewhat reformist, um, which is partly why it has some support from those people, which I explained before, uh, those people who um, profit from the neoliberalism in mm -hmm. Japan in the last 20, 30 um, years. Um, but it's not particularly innovative. Um, and actually, if, if, you, if you look at the Japanese uh, uh, characters or the Chinese characters um, uh, with which this party is written, in Japanese it's called the Ishin no To. And the term Ishin actually is the same term that is being used for an event in Japanese history in 1868, namely the Meiji Restoration. And nobody would ever speak of the Meiji innovation. I mean, there is the larger historical argument that the Meiji restoration eventually um, resulted in a revolution, so to say. Um, but uh, the event happening in 1868, which is called with the, the same, yeah. with the same uh, characters as this party, is restoration. And, and I think that's really what it is about. It's in many aspects uh, very reactionary almost, and it's definitely not part of the uh, uh, left of center opposition camp in the parliament. And the party itself has also made that clear. Um, and it is very hostile to the um, center of left parties, and therefore it rather sometimes cooperates with the LDP. It is partly also a populist party, but populism, that's interesting, is, is not very uh, widespread and popular in Japan, different from other countries. We had mm. some populist parties, mostly right-wing populist parties over the last two decades. But uh, like in Germany too, until the arrival of the AFD, um, this was a constant coming and going. So we had a populist party forming and sometimes it gained a dozen of seats or two dozen of seats, but the next election they disappeared. Mm. And um, some people also thought this would happen with this uh, restoration party or innovation party as they call themselves in English. Um, but uh, they could actually, um, um, uh, they were the only party with, with significant gains. Um, so they only had 11 seats in the parliament um, before the election, uh, and uh, now they have 41. Um, but to put that in uh, context, we also have to see in, uh, uh, in the previous elections, um, um, so two elections previously, they had almost 50 seats or so. So they're kind of getting back to normal. Um, and it might be that they become an established force, but I don't think it's really because they are populist. One of the most important things is that they are a regional party. They are particularly strong in Osaka. And in this election, they won uh, all or all but one direct seats in uh, uh, the prefecture of Osaka, which shows that they're very strong here. So they are a regional protest party, one could say, 
of people in Osaka against um, the central government in Tokyo. And in Japan, the political, uh, the political system is very centralized. Um, so this is in a way also a protest against Tokyo centrism. Um, how stable it will be in the long run is difficult uh, to tell for the time being. They have a relatively popular and people think charismatic. Um, personally, I don't really see that, but some mm. kind of charismatic um, co-leader. So as long as uh, this guy is around, they will probably get a certain amount of um, votes. Um, but yeah, it's it's very important not to mistake them for a truly reformist party, notwithstanding the English name Innovation mm -hmm. Party, um, partly because innovation is really a mistranslation. They did that on purpose, okay. of course, because yeah. Restoration mm -hmm. Party would sound yeah. weird. Uh, yes. But that is really the core of their ideology. So if, if it, it's the word restoration is more appropriate, it kind of sounds like they're more like a like a make Japan great again kind of oh. kind of <laughs> kind yeah, of a messaging right of yeah yeah that is a part of it but uh yeah uh, former prime minister um Abe also um was um, um of that couleur uh, very much actually the former security advisor of former president Trump Steve Bannon mm. whom uh, uh listeners probably will be <laughs> Uh, familiar with, he called Shinzo Abe once Trump before Trump. He said, oh. Mr. Abe preempted all of the policies that Trump eventually um, um, put into practice, like bashing of what they consider fake news, fake news media, etc. Um, so Mr. Mr. Abe also very much has um, these Trumpist um, sides and the Innovation Party, party at least, uh, or Restoration Party, at least in part as well. Yes. Okay, wow. I want to change tack a little bit and pick up on like yeah. two things that you mentioned or something that was mentioned twice in the in in, in the course of our conversation, which is um, mm. the lack of representation of women or why there yeah. are not so many women in both in Japanese politics and in political leadership. So could you comment a little bit about that? Like, let our listeners know why this is or your ideas about it. Yeah, thank you. So, yeah, that's one of the most unfortunate uh, results of this election, actually, that not more women were able to win a seat in the diet. Um, actually, the number slightly decreased. So as I said before, um, the lower house, which was now elected, um, has 465 seats, 465. And now uh, among those 465 representatives, there are 45 women. So it's less than 10%. Mm. And in international comparison, that is extremely low. And this is also one of the reasons why Japan is um, um, ranking very, very low in rankings of gender equality. Mm -hmm. As I said before, we have to be very careful with these uh, rankings, um, of course. And uh, in many other aspects, um, women in Japan are doing very well, um, health, for example, mm -hmm. um, but also education. But particularly because of that, um, it is so nonsensical that you would not have more women in uh, politics because 
um, um, there's a very high rate um, of women graduating from universities. So you have university, female university graduates, mm-hmm. um, 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 and plenty of them, but they would not be able um, um, to, uh, to enter the world of politics because it is so strongly male dominated. It's not that the potential is lacking. It is that um, the dominance is just impossible to break up, obviously. Um, Many women, of course, look for different areas. Um, So in Japan, you have have a lot of NGOs and Mm -hmm. many NGOs are led by women or in in these NGOs, uh, women would play very important roles. Um, of course, in the academic world, you also have a considerable amount, uh, a number of women, although in academia also still uh, women are underrepresented, but um, a little bit higher represented than in politics. Um, so the potential is there, just um, the, um, 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 the, 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 the male dominance, uh, the, the dominance by men in politics is just not um, 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 it's just not getting uh, uh, less strong. So um, yeah, uh, you, you had a decrease of successful candidates being elected to the parliament in this um, election. So that was um, a real shock to many mm. people. Mm. Uh, I just want to do a follow-up question to that. Like, do you, what do you think, or do you think there are like wider effects to society that that the, the do you think that there are wider effects that can be felt in society from this lack of women being represented in either political power and in academia like does it i'm not quite sure what to link it to like yeah so sorry i'm just going to rephrase mm. that like very briefly mm. like um yeah. i want to mm. ask now a follow up question um do you think that this lack or this lower representation of women in government and women in academia in Japan has wider effects for society? Yeah, well, I suppose um, that in politics, um, the proposals, the ideas, and the eventually enacted uh, laws are, of course, much more based on male views than on women's views, right? So um, just to give you one example, in Japan, there's a huge majority that is in favor of um, spouses being allowed to have separate surnames. Mm -hmm. So in Japan, and I think Japan is actually the only country by now that does not allow spouses to have to 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 keep separately their original names Mm. surnames um so if you marry you have to assume either the husband has to assume his wife's family name or vice versa and Mm. so it's allowed in both directions until a few years ago it was basically the 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 husband's name Mm. that became the name of uh, the family. Today, there are also some couples uh, who decide, well, let's take uh, the name of the wife. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, of course, for example, for um, a working race, so in your workplace, as a woman, if you have 
to assume your husband husband's name. That is inconvenient. And it sometimes disadvantages you if you have to change your name, particularly if you're some kind of public person, of course, um, academics. If you have written your first couple of books under the name, say, Tanaka, and then you marry uh, to Mr. Um, um, Kishida, and you assume the name Kishida, then your next book, in theory, has to be published mm. under the name Kishida, and then people would not connect those books to each other, right? Because mm. they would not know it's the same person who wrote the book. As a matter of fact, um, in society, this has been uh, noticed as a big problem, and therefore many people continue at work to, in practice, use their maiden name. Mm-hmm which shows that the the system doesn't make sense and that there is a problem. So everybody admits there is a problem, but uh, the LDP in particular and the conservative part of the LDP totally opposes this idea of allowing through new legislation to, uh, uh, to allow spouses to have and to keep, even after marriage, separate surnames. Their fear, they, they say this would... Uh, leads to a breakdown of, to a collapse of the traditional family values um, without, of course, having any proof for that or any logical argument. They just stated over and over again how it always is with, you know, these discourses of tradition. Once you inject the term tradition into the discussion, um, it's it's not about reason anymore. It's it's just about some weird feeling of adhering to a past that often actually never existed, but that's a different story. Yeah. You, you mentioned, you know, um, some of this legislation, um, you've already mentioned the LDP with this kind of, um, you know, suggest, uh, you know, the new government kind of proposals that might be different with the previous Abbey government. Um, I'd like to ask now regarding this, of course, very controversial topic about the, uh, um, proposed amendments to the constitution, you know, that was being pursued by the former government of Shinzo Abe last, mm. you know, during his term. Is how, what's the development without? Is, is the yeah. is parliament still bent on um, amending the Article Nine of the constitutions? Which, by the way, can you also this? Can you also explain what that Article Nine is and how that came to be? Yeah, thank you. So, um, yeah, constitutional revision is or has been since many decades a major uh, um, discussion in uh, a major point of discussion in post-war Japan. So the constitution was enacted in 1947 and the Japanese constitution has never been amended or revised since. So it's still exactly the same document from 1946-47, and it has never been amended once. So that's quite uh, conspicuous. Um, And one of the reasons, as you said, is Article 9, which is an article that stipulates that uh, Japan um, aspires um, universal peace. And as uh, uh, to achieve that, Uh, aim, it renounces the right to wage war. Um, This obviously has to be seen um, 
as a result of World War II. So we are speaking about 1946, right? And Japan just comes out of a devastating war, which didn't really make Japan a popular country, um, exactly the opposite. One could say in 1946, Japan is what we would call today a rogue state. Nobody wanted to have to do anything with Japan or Germany for that matter. So both Japan and Germany tried to become a respected member of international uh, community again. And one of the ways Japan's politicians uh, tried to do that was um, to include Article 9 in the Constitution. And by that saying, implicitly, the war we just had was wrong. We now want to become a peaceful nation. And in order to underline that promise that we will be a peaceful nation from now on, we promise in our Constitution that we renounce our right to wage war. And actually, Japan was not the only country in 1945, 46, 47. Um, there was kind of a, um, a flow um, um, like that in international relations, as some scholars have um, underlined, some countries um, um, still today have um, similar stipulations, not as clear cut as Article 9, but similar stipulations in their constitutions. Of course, everybody knows the famous case of Costa Rica, which also at one point decided just to not waste money on military expenses anymore, but rather uh, put the funds into education and whatnot. Um, so that is where Article 9 comes from. But as you can imagine, uh, the particular, the hawks in Japanese politics, they insist, um, first of all, that um, every sovereign nation has the right to self-defense, at least. And uh, so that is what they want to insert in the constitution. Although it's totally unnecessary, because the current interpretation of Article 9 is that um, Japan, after it um, issued this constitution, joined the United Nations. And the United Nations Charter says that every member has the right to self-defense. And the interpretation of the Japanese government is that the UN Charter is on a higher level than the constitution. So even though Japan denounces the right to war, um, the United Nations Charter allows Japan to defend itself. And that is why Japan today does not have an army or a navy, but it has the so-called self-defense forces. And they are actually very well equipped and they really guarantee the um, defense of Japan. But for the hawks in the LDP and also in some other parties, this is not enough. And that is why they want to revise Article 9. But they also want to revise other articles. So coming back to the previous question about gender equality, um, there is also Article 24, which in its current phrasing guarantees equality of uh, men and uh, women. And uh, uh, LDP wants to rewrite this article in a way that it wouldn't exactly guarantee uh, gender equality anymore. And that is because many LDP politicians really hate gender equality. They hate the term and they hate the concept. And uh, they're very outspoken critics among the LDP, um, um, critics of the concept of gender equality. 
Uh, actually, some of them are women. So um, I said I've, before I've read, there are yeah. 45 women in the parliament now. Mm-hmm. Actually, not all of them are advocates of gender equality and of more opportunities for women. Some of them actually say, no, Japanese tradition demands that the wife works at home, supports the husband, he goes to work, she stays at home. That's what we need in Japan because it's our tradition, (laughs) which is, of course, nonsense. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in the LDP now, one of the most powerful politicians Mm -hmm. is a Miss Takaichi, and she's exactly saying that. And she might be a future uh, prime minister because she is now um, 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 in a very powerful alliance with Mr. Abe, and with Mr. Kishida, and if Mr. Kishida has to step down, she might be one of the main contenders mm. for the office of the prime minister. But that would not, not speak in favor of more uh, opportunities for women in Japan. Oh, yeah. um, rather, it would uh, cast a pretty dark light on the future of gender equality. It's really weird talking about women, yeah. pri- uh, you know, members of parliament advocating for further reduction of women's yeah. rights. That's really weird. Yeah. Wow, that's a new one. Like, sorry, I'm just... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... Yeah, sorry for being the bearer of bad news. <laughs> oh, no, not at all. So we're actually very happy to be speaking with you because this is exactly the kind of information that's not very widely known about Japanese yes. politics. So this is good to hear and good to know. Like, if you... Like, the battle is ongoing, so at least it's good to know where the battles are. So I think a good question to wrap up our podcast would be, like, and also, like, this has been a really good discussion, and thank you. Like, it's taken directions that I wasn't expecting, but I'm very happy that it's gone. Hmm. And so I think now uh, a good question to wrap all of this up would be, if you have any, like, recommendations, or given your background as a historian, what you think is in store, at least for Japanese politics. Like you talked about how the uh, how economic problems continue to persist in that wages have remained stagnant because of like tax hikes over the years and liberalism or neoliberalism is creating precarious work that, you know, if we're going to look at experience and the news, that it has a tendency to get worse rather than better without government stepping in. What do you think is in store for the new prime minister and for the Japanese people with regard to the course politics is taking now? And any recommendations for for the opposition parties should they want to effectively (laughs) challenge? Yeah, so that's a very difficult one, obviously. But, um, okay, maybe start with opposition parties because that's easier. I really think that um, the the main opposition party, the Constitutional Democratic Party, needs to clearly position itself in a way that people see that it is different from the LDP and Mm -hmm. that it brings or offers um, opportunities for change, uh, uh, change for the better, (laughs) obviously for um, a lot of people. Um, That is not the case really right now, partly because, as I think I mentioned before, the the Constitutional Democratic Party is still kind of divided and has a, um, of course, uh, um, left-wing social democratic bloc. 
But there are also some conservative politicians, even in the CDP, who would say, no, we aren't exactly social democrat or not to speak of socialist. We are also conservative with a little bit more reformist twist than the LDP. But I don't think that's a model with which you can ever challenge the LDP because the LDP would say, yeah, but we have much more experience in running the country. So uh, please stay with us. With that, the LDP will continue to win elections. Um, But if the LDP stays in power, then, um, yeah, a lot of things that should change and which also many people think need to be changed. So this is not an outside view. This is what Japanese people do uh, express in polls and in interviews, right? Um, But these changes will not come. And uh, I think the elections, and particularly also the presidential elections within the LDP, so for the LDP presidency, showed that. As I said before, Kishida, Mr. Kishida, was a little bit more centrist, and he Mm. came up with this idea of redistribution rather than waiting for trickle-down effects. But at the end of the day, he had to backpedal. He had um, uh, to secure the support of other factions, and that is why he, for the time being, um, gave up on Mm -hmm. the promises to make major changes. This might change in the future again. He might, in a year or so, um, if he achieves high popularity rates, then he might be empowered to implement more fundamental changes. But uh, this is something we can't say anything about at this point. As a last point, it's also important to um, realize that there was um, another candidate, obviously. So within the LDP presidential elections, there were in the first round four candidates. And then there was a um, decisive round um, with the, the two uh, candidates that won most of the votes in the first round. And the, the opponent of Mr. Kishida, who eventually won, was Mr. Kono, Mr. Haro Kono. And he is even more to the center left than Mr. Kishida. Hmm. But within the LDP, it was very clear that all the other factions would do anything to prevent him from becoming prime minister and LDP president because he is a real reformer. He really has an agenda and he really wants to change some things. And that's why everybody in the conservative LDP more or less hates it because he is also very unusual in his style, in in the way he talks. And most um, um, more conservative politicians would say, no, 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 no. We, we don't want to become a reformist party. We are a conservative party. So that's not the government we want. And that is why he was um, prevented to become president and then prime minister of Japan. And why Mr. Kishida won. And Mr. Kishida, the other factions, like Mr. Abe's faction, obviously thought we can control him better. Yeah. And right now, that indeed seems to be the case. For Japan, that is not good news because it means mm-hmm. more stagnation. Mm-hmm. It means uh, less reform uh, and more of the same as we have had since basically 1955. And of course, Japan has not been doing that badly. So organizing the growth of the economy and everything that has worked out well. Um, but um, 
as I mentioned before, um, in the 1950s, we also had uh, prime ministers who put more emphasis on redistribution and these kind of things. So many people in Japan think it's time again to put more emphasis on that, on redistribution, on, uh, um, on narrowing the social inequalities, uh, reducing the uh, uh, social inequalities. And, and that is really something that Mr. Abe and the more conservative parts of the LDP are not going to address. Right. Mm-hmm. So we have our fearless forecast. And if you have any <laughs> listeners in Japan, please send us an email. And like we would be very happy to connect you with Sven should you want to write him an email or anything like that. So, sure. wow, Sven, thank you so much. This was really, really amazing. And we now, come, we now come to the part of the episode that we give to all of our guests. So we're going to give you the floor to promote anything it is that you're working on that you might want to share with our podcast listeners or a final message either on the subject matter or just in general, also for our listeners. Yeah, thank you for that. So, um, yeah, as I mentioned during the podcast, I'm uh, um, mainly an academic by profession and I write books about uh, Japanese history and uh, also, and, and increasingly so in the last years, about how contemporary Japan deals with its past, in, particularly, in particular with its mm-hmm. wartime past. Yeah. Um, so I have written books about um, um, uh, monuments in Japan, and uh, most recently I published a book about statues in Japan, statues of historical personalities. Listeners probably are aware that in the United States, for example, we have a lot of discussions about monuments and statues, statues of Confederate generals, um, for example. In Japan, there are not any major controversies today, but throughout history, many statues were built in Japan. And a couple of years, I published a book titled Men in Metal, The Topography of Public Bronze Statuary in Modern Japan. As the title indicates, most statues do represent men. Actually, there are very few statues of women to come back to that point. Uh, but it is kind of a history of statue building in modern Japan. And I think it's quite entertaining. It allows a lot of insights into modern Japanese history in general and how this history uh, was represented in public spaces and through this communicated to the population, which is not necessarily interested in history, but through monuments is usually made to believe a certain version of the narrative of a nation state. Yeah, so thank you for that opportunity. All right, that's brilliant. So if you're interested in Men in Metal, a topography of Japanese statuary, I'm very sure that you can find this book in your online bookseller. So you can also write us an email. Maybe we can help our listeners find the copy and we very much encourage you to check it out. I really do find this topic really interesting given, you know, all of the things we've seen on the news of like statues being torn down. So it's very interesting to read about, you know, why they get put up in the first place because there is very much an agenda. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Recently, a number of books have been published about uh, fallen statues Mm -hmm. and the toppling of statues. My book is mainly about the discussions that um, um, accompanied the building of statues, which Mm -hmm. sometimes took like 20 years and Mm -hmm. uh, more in the case of Japan, which shows how controversial some of these statues uh, Mm -hmm. are, not only when they are toppled, but also when they are built. Yeah. All right, so Sven, thank you yeah. so much. This was such a pleasure. Thank it was you. So wonderful to have you. It's a pleasure. And, all right. Yeah. So 
Yeah, thank you again for having me. Mm. Yes, and thank you. And thank you to all of our listeners. We hope you enjoyed this episode about politics in Japan. And we hope you learned something. And we also hope that you will add a specific book to your reading list. Yeah, so, wow, Cassie, it was a very you know, informative discussion. I really love the discussion, especially on... And Sven really clarified a lot of, you know, oh, misconceptions, yeah. questions we had about Japanese politics. Mm-hmm. So how about you? How what, what did you think about the discussion? The rabbit hole was much deeper than I thought it was going to be. But I'm not <laughs> sorry about learning about it at all. So I, I asked him during the podcast, like, because you, we, we learned that the LDP has a lot of factions and... The prime ministers changing, changing as often as we change our clothes is due to those factions fighting amongst each other. And it turns out, you know, it's really just, you know, people wanting to be in power rather than any desire to enact uh, policy, which like, you know, it sucks. It's sad to hear, but, you know, it's also not the first time we've heard it. Yeah. Yeah. Hearing a lot from, you know, Asian politics, it's a Mm -hmm. common theme. Yeah. I was not expecting, I was not expecting the parts about, you know, wanting to roll back women's rights in Japan. Like, that's new. It's kind of, it kind of, yeah, that's why I had to say, you know, to the listeners, if they just tuned mm-hmm. in, mm-hmm. we're talking about Japan and not the Taliban because a lot, yeah. it really sounded like the that Sven was talking about the, the Taliban, about yeah. rolling back, you know, very basic rights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like in the post-interview section, we were just like chatting with Sven. He did mention that he could connect us with a female researcher who's doing research about this area in Japan. And I think that would be really interesting because like there is so much to discuss when it comes to the culture of Japan that has to do with the treatment of women. Like if I'm going to venture, like, and I apologize if I'm venturing into the area of stereotype, but like there's a lot of repression in Japan, it seems. <laughs> And like it has not boded well for women at all. And it would be just really interesting to talk about that with somebody who is very knowledgeable in the topic. And so thank you, Sven, for giving us that lead. (laughs) This was a great episode. And I'm very excited for what our listeners will think about it. Yeah, definitely. If you would like to give your comments, so we accept positive, lukewarm, and negative comments, please don't hesitate to reach out to the Sokdam Asia podcast via our email address, which you can find on our Spotify page. And until next time, my name is Cassie. And my name is Carlo. And this has been the Sokdam Asia podcast. Until we hear or see you again, take care. Bye.